Exceeding Expectations, episode 22. Welcome to another edition of Exceeding Expectations, the show for people who typically have the mindset of wanting to exceed what their customer is expecting, which gives the customer a better experience, but it also makes it better for the person who's delivering. It gives them a more enjoyable work experience. And that often results in being able to charge much higher prices than most of their peers as well. This week's episode is with Alistair Greener. He has been around the world, I don't know, about a thousand times. He's, uh, you'll find out very soon when he starts speaking, but he's uh, it's definitely a world traveller, is Alistair. Uh, please do leave a review for the podcast. On You can leave it on iTunes or on Google. And why not subscribe if you like the information you hear? And now, please welcome Alistair Greener. So in today's episode of Exceeding Expectations, I have a guest by the name of Alistair Greener. How are you doing, Alistair? I'm very well. Great to talk to you, Tony. And it's, um, you've got quite a background. I mean, we, we were having a conversation before the recording started, and you mentioned to me in your the job that you used to do took you to... Uh, I wrote it down, 153 countries. What on earth were you doing? (laughs) I've been very lucky, Tony, that uh, throughout my life, I've always been able to do what I fancied doing. And it was back in the early 90s. I was a TV presenter at the time. I was doing some acting. And I saw a friend of mine who was at an audition with me. And um, she was a fantastic, glamorous and wonderful. And I've worked with her some years before. I said, what on earth have you been doing? She said, well, I've been working on cruise ships. And I said, well, that sounds good. Is there anything that I could do on there? Because I love all these pictures of the Caribbean and these sandy beaches and so on. And she said, well, you can't sing, you can't dance. You, you could be an entertainment officer if you like. Anyway, within six months, I found myself in Palma, Mallorca, on a cruise ship, thinking, well, this would be fun for six months you know, have a go at entertaining passengers and so on. And 16 years later, after 3 million nautical miles, and as you say, 153 countries, I decided it was time to move on to new pastures. Wow. And and you you, you ended up doing that for 16 years. And you, you, you mentioned before you were in charge of all sorts of different entertainers. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting area. It, it was a great, great life. As I said, I traveled a huge amount. And in the end, or after a couple of years, I found myself in the management of the entertainment department on cruise ships and wound up working for three different companies. And in that role, basically, I was responsible for ensuring the entertainment package on board was delivered in the way that the company wanted and to make sure that our passengers were entertained. So that encompassed singers, dancers, all of the cabaret acts from from magicians to comedians and musicians and so on, as well as all of the behind the scenes technical staff, because on board ships these days, the theatres are so technical, so many regional theatres would die to have the facilities that some of these modern cruise ships have. So it was it was great. I was in charge of about 100 different people, which is always fun when you're involved in entertainment, uh, mm. dealing with all of those wonderful differences that entertainment brings. <laughs> I can imagine. And so, I mean, what, what sort of size ships are we talking pretty big the biggest one i worked on was queen mary 2 and to give you an idea of how big she is 
she was 150,000 tons, which doesn't mean an awful lot in itself. But if you imagine, uh, so to draw a parallel to Titanic, she was only 45,000 tons. So it gives you a bit of an idea of how big these ships are. However, Queen Mary II was very lucky in that she had a very good ratio of space per passenger. So on that size ship, we would have about two and a half thousand passengers. But unfortunately, that pales into insignificance compared to some of the large ones today, which are over the, the largest in the world is 224,000 tons and has over six and a half thousand people on board. So they are pretty, pretty big monsters these days. Wow, that's amazing. And, and just going back to the fact that you've been to 153 countries. So it's, it is literally easier for you to list the countries you haven't visited than the ones you have done. Sadly not. There's actually a huge amount more that I have to go in search of. And actually, I've made it my dream now to at least discover a new country every year so that I can keep ticking off that list. It's become a little bit of an obsession. And I have to really work hard at some of those African countries. I've only been to about five or six in Africa, and there's a heck of a lot more than that. Ah, so I would imagine then that you've most any countries that are really landlocked are you're less likely to have visited. What and anything on a coast you probably have. Exactly, exactly. So um, I'm now heading inland uh, now that I've come onto dry land. So lots of great, exciting places. And one of the places that I never visited on board ships, which most people are surprised at, which is my goal hopefully this year, is South Africa. Okay, yeah, that is a surprise. Yeah. Yeah, just never managed to get there. So uh, uh, to go into Cape Town, I think, would be fantastic. So, yeah, really looking forward to keeping, in, you know, keeping that journey going. And one of the things that you discover when you travel is, you know, different cultures, different ways people communicate, the different ways people are. And it, it really does open your mind to so many different things. You know, travel is just such an exciting opportunity. Absolutely. And, and were you when you, you mentioned you were managing up to sort of 100 people in the entertainment area and were, would they often be from sort of different countries as well? It was interesting. Many times the captain at uh, one of his speeches would say the ship was a little bit like the United Nations, except we all get on together. Right. Because we we would have sometimes up to 30, 40 different nationalities on board. Sometimes we would have up to 20 nationalities just amongst the passengers, especially with Cunard, which attracted a far more international audience. But amongst the crew, lots and lots of different nationalities. Within entertainment, we would only have maybe two or three because obviously most people were English speaking and English was their primary language. Mm. But it was great to be amongst so many different cultures and learn from so many different cultures. And yeah, I was just, just thinking that because managing all of those people, you must have learned so many different skills in, in you know, the huge amount of time you spent doing that. Well, it's interesting because obviously we're, we're talking in this podcast about, you know, how we deal with people and how we improve customer experience. And one of the biggest important roles in that is to understand the people that you're communicating with and who your customers are. And when you deal with lots of different nationalities, you know, you really have to understand where they are, where they've come from and what their understanding is. You know, we all were familiar with that adage of treat other people how you expect to be treated yourself. Hmm. But the more modern version of that is actually to understand them a little bit better and understand how they are, because obviously you can't imagine 
what it would be like for them because they are very different people from a different culture and a different background. I always love the quote from Nelson Mandela who said, if you talk to a man in his language, in a language he understands, that goes to his head. But if you talk to him in his own language, that goes to his heart. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a lovely quote that really gives people an indication how important it is to understand the other person and understand where they're coming from. And so all those skills that you've learned, you know, especially you mentioned about the communication and, and the MC and, and so on. So and how have they helped you in, in what you do now? I think it's that whole thing when you're on stage and you're talking to an audience, you get that instant feel of whether they're with you or not. Mm. and that in, in it, it almost becomes an extra skill that you get the way you can really feel how people are reacting to what you're saying mm. and we all know that listening is an incredibly important skill when it comes to you know customer experience and when it comes to dealing with people and sometimes from a stage perspective you get that but on mass Mm. So you really have to get a grasp of where it's going. Have you pushed it too far? Are they not really on side? And then to change tack accordingly. Hmm. And you, so on the TV presenting, you, you, you mentioned you did some of that before you went on a cruise, but you're, you're still doing that now as well, aren't you? That's right. That was one of the things when I left ships, I wanted to come back to the TV world. And it was quite interesting that I then slipped into communications training and so on, almost by accident, because I was doing some TV work. And I joined an organization called the Professional Speaking Association because I wanted to do some after dinner speaking. And Mm. then all of a sudden I got into the more of the training side. But one of the things I've done a lot of over the years is interviewing people. And I've probably interviewed over a thousand people, whether it be on TV, on stage or um, in person. And one of the things that you discover there is the importance of really listening and really engaging with the person you're talking to, especially Mm. if you're face to face. Mm. And I see many other people who are reporters and interviewers who spend a huge amount of time talking Mm. and not doing so much really in-depth listening to what the person is saying. Someone like Parkinson, who I see as the true master, Mm. really got into who he was talking to. He did a huge amount of research first, but then he really, really listened and allowed a conversation to flow. Mm. So getting back into TV presenting was, was a fantastic opportunity to really enjoy all the aspects of presenting, but also to bring in the skills I'd learned on board ships to really listen and to really gauge the people I was talking to. And so now you, you've, I know you've got a keynote called Make Business Personal. And how, what is it you, that you talk about in that keynote? It's really about, again, connecting with people in a deeper, more meaningful way. So that, you know, we spend a lot of time and effort on marketing. And I'm certainly not suggesting we shouldn't do that. But sometimes there's a possibility that we are so busy getting new business, we forget about the clients that we already have. And what I teach in in my keynote and what I try to help others do is to give them tips and helpful advice on ways that they can make that connection more real. We see with people like Amazon and many of these massive conglomerate retailers they connect with us because they get to know us 
It's what they call personalization, although it's not always as personal as we would like it to be. Mm. But because we as consumers are now getting used to the fact that Amazon knows who I am, they know what I like, that we as consumers also want that from our relationships as well. We do want people to understand us a little bit better. And we want to feel a little bit more special. That's a human, you know, normal human need. So Mm. what I try and help people do is to help them become more personal in their approach to their business. So they understand their clients better and they wind up delivering more to their clients than they expect. We've all heard the adage of undersell and over deliver. Mm. And some of the tips that I give will hope give people those kind of tools that they can connect better with their clients so therefore those clients become more loyal to them because they recognize that they've been valued by the person they're dealing with and are you speaking to quite a varied audiences or is it sort of more specific industries it's They are varied audiences. I do a lot of work with SMEs and small businesses in terms of because as a a one man band in my training communications business, I completely understand as a small company, how can you do all of these things? You don't have the advantages of Amazon with all of their algorithms to be able to do things. So I spend a lot of time working with SMEs and in terms of the small things that they can do to make their clients feel more valued. And then I also work with some bigger organizations where I talk to their teams and help them build better relationships between each other by communicating more effectively and actually understanding each other better. And I imagine um, that you're used to, to illustrate what you're talking about, you, you know, you use some stories. I mean, can you think of any sort of stories to, to help our listeners in, in that kind of area, how they can be better at help, uh, giving their customers a better experience? One of the stories I always start my keynote with is, is, is an amazing story. And it, and it really inspired me to think, how can I deliver better customer service to all of my clients? And I was basically meeting up with some friends and they said, oh, let, let's go to this restaurant. Anthony Wild Thompson's opened a bistro in Cube, which is where they were living. Why don't we go along there? We've only been there a couple of times, but let's go in there because it's really good. So we went along and when we got there, there was a, a maitre d' at the door and he immediately said, oh, Mr. and Mrs. Wing, how lovely to see you again. Would you like the same table you had last time? Mm. Now, I have no idea what we ate that day. I have no idea what else happened, but I remember the way that maitre d' made us feel and mm. made my friends feel incredibly special. And you know, the bizarre thing is, Tony, that event happened about 12 years ago, and I'm still talking about it. And I always say to my audiences, wouldn't you love to have that story going around about you? Another story that happened to me actually more recently, I went into my local garage and it was a main dealer. I'm afraid to say I don't always use the main dealer for things that go wrong with my car. And on this particular occasion, I had been in once before to get something small. And I went in again on this occasion. When I got there, I said, oh, um, I've got a little problem. There's um, one of the bulb lights has come up on my dashboard. I don't know which bulb it is, but I was just passing. So I thought I'd pop in and get it replaced. 
Mm. To which the uh, girl behind the counter said, yeah, no problem at all. Uh, just give me the key, take a seat, have a coffee, um, read some newspapers, and I'll come over and uh, let you know how it's going. A few minutes later, she came over and said, oh, yes, Mr. Green, uh, just to let you know that um, it's in the garage at the moment. That we're actually putting the bulb in for you. Um, now, that this is the bill that, that um, we'll need you to pay. Um, is that OK? Yes, no problem at all. And I said, thought, hang on a second. I never gave them my name. How did they know who I was? But what right. she had done, she had put in my number plate into their system, found out who I was, and then immediately called me by name. Mm-hmm. And it was just such a really good touch. And literally 10 minutes later, after a very nice relaxing cup of coffee, going on their free Wi-Fi, my car was outside, my keys given to me, and said, yes, it's all fixed, off you go. And that kind of service was just superb. And especially when so many car manufacturers have the, almost the opposite of that. It really, really makes them stand out. Exactly. And again, it, it's funny how we all talk about this, these stories. And I talk about them all the time. You know, it, we all know the quote that Maya Angelou won, you know, the one that says, I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people mm. will never forget how you made them feel. And yeah. that's exactly what happened in that garage. So mm. I try in everything I do, and I, I wouldn't suggest for one moment that I succeed every time, but mm. I try and think, how can I make that person feel special? How can I make them go off and become an ambassador for Alistair Greener? And so that whenever they speak about me, they think in a positive light that I look after them. And so because of that, that mindset that you have and the experience you have, so do you try and approach when you're doing a keynote or if you're being an MC, have a different approach than maybe many speakers who don't have that kind of experience and knowledge? You know what? It's really funny you say that because one of the I'm, I'm actually thinking of writing a new keynote saying let's ban the word generic, right? Because because it, it's it's such a horrible word in so many things because it just means all things to all men, and which is the antithesis of what I'm trying to achieve. Hmm. So you're absolutely right. You know, I call my training courses bespoke because literally the client will design the training course for themselves. They will. They will tell me what it is that they want. Now, of course, there'll be elements that I've done before. And it's a little bit like what I call a washing line, where you pick elements off the washing line and then integrate them into a program that that client wants. And whether it's a keynote, whether it's a training session, I think it's incredibly important that the client feels that what you're presenting to them is specific to their needs. Hmm. You know, when I worked on cruise ships, I remember, you know, on very early days we were taught you have to bear in mind that people who are coming on to this ship for this week this is their big holiday this is their big opportunity to relax for the year so Mm. we have to make them feel really special what we don't want them to realize is that actually they're just week 28 of 52 Mm. and that they are special and we are going to somehow tailor their experience to something that they particularly want and they will go away feeling special. So, yes, I aim to try and do that with all of my clients. So everything, even a keynote, will change according to who I'm speaking to. I will change slides. I will bring in things that will relate to the audience. 
I often will get there the day before or certainly very early on the day and take some pictures and put them last minute into my slideshow, much as to the annoyance of the technical team sometimes. <laughs> but it just helps the audience relate better when they see something about themselves. They see something um, that really relates to them. Mm. And so and as an MC, how are you able to offer something different because of your, your background to, to maybe many other MCs? Again, the main person when it comes to any conference or any event is the conference organiser. My first job is to make them feel that they've got a safe pair of hands that the conference is in and they can then go off and deal with the other elements that they're dealing with. So I really spend a lot of time really focusing on that person. What can I do for you that's going to make your life easier? And sometimes I'll come up with ideas. I have a what I call an MC checklist and I'll go through all the different elements of the event or conference and make sure that everything's ticked off. And actually, quite often, the, the conference organiser might not be that experienced and might not have thought some of the elements that I will talk about. I was doing a conference recently in uh, Switzerland, in Zurich, and I was emceeing and moderating the event. And in the pre-phone call that we had of quite a few, I was talking about the staging and what was the staging going to be looking like, what were the microphones going to be, who was going to be sat where and so on. And one of the things she, the, she said, oh, well, we weren't actually going to have a stage. And I said, OK. And you have to obviously handle this very diplomatically. Mm. I, I said, but you've got about 300 people in the room. It just might help with the visuals from the audience if they can actually see the speaker. If we can just lift them, maybe even if it's only, you know, half a meter or something, just that little bit will really, really help everyone get a much better view and a better understanding. They mm. were able to ask the hotel to provide it and it was provided. And she came up to me afterwards and said, you know, what? that just that small thing mm. I know made a huge difference to our conference. So it's that relationship that I have with the organizer that I see is really important. And then, of course, as you quite rightly say, I'm connecting with the individuals on the day. So I mix around all of the delegates and listen to various things that are going on and try and incorporate that into my links to, again, mm. make me feel part of the day. I never feel the MC should be the focus. But mm. the MC is tying everything together. And if the audience feel that you're very much a part of the day because you've understood what's going on and you're relating to it, that will help their experience too. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you talked before briefly about the training you do because you do, um, is it presentation skills training? That's right. I'll, I'll help with just from the real basics from people who are starting to have to get up and do presentations and don't quite have the confidence yet, all the way through to people who really need to do bigger keynotes and they want to look at their slideshows, they want to have a look at their, you know, the, the skills that they're utilising in, de in delivering a really strong presentation. And I also help with media skills as well. So these are all things, fortunately, that I've done in abundance. So it, it seemed only a natural thing to do to be able to pass on some of the things that I've learned for other people. In fact, I was just talking to one of my clients the other day who's actually a TV presenter as well as a keynote speaker. Mm -hmm. And it was quite interesting how I had to tailor make that particular training. Uh, it was a one-on-one -on -one training, but to tailor make it so that we could look at the differences between 
TV and stage, which are are huge. And so when, because again, you know, bringing in your background of the sort of customer service and trying to over deliver and so on. So when you're doing your training for presentation skills, I, I presume therefore you're not simply helping them being a better presenter in terms of the communication voice and so on, but giving them tips on how they can give a better experience to whoever they're working for and so on. Exactly. It's about how they can connect with their audience. And one of the things we talk about is keeping the message simple, keeping it consistent, but make sure that it relates at the same time and involving their audience, how to, all the tools that you can do with that, whether they be questions, rhetorical questions, bold comments, audience involvement, all those kind of skills that makes the audience absorb the message that much better is a real key part of a presentational skill. And likewise, with, with media training, what is it the audience wants to hear? How can you bridge what the interviewer is asking in order for you to be able to get out your key message that you want to get out but then also relating that to whoever's listening so that people are actually engaged okay um you, you'd mentioned when before we started recording you do voiceovers uh, what what sort of work do you do for the voiceovers well i've done quite a lot of different things from um, a couple of adverts i've also done a lot of corporate work uh, in fact i'm off this afternoon to record something for hmrc so i have to somehow put in my voice something that's going to inject some enthusiasm some energy but still get that message across so again they're all skills that really really help in fact one of the things that i always do whenever i'm talking i always stand up so i'm standing talking to you now because mm. i for me, I can use my body more. And as soon as I use my hands and my body, my energy levels go up. And actually, that then conveys in a voice. So, you know, you've done radio, so you know how important it is to mm. use your voice to express in ways that you don't have to necessarily when you're face to face. But mm. when it's only your voice, there's a lot more things you have to do to be able to convey all the emotions that you might be going through. And, and what I'm sort of sitting here wondering, so as a voiceover artist, how are you able to over-deliver in that capacity? Is there is there something different that you do to what many others do? You know, it's a good question. I'm not too sure what other people do do always when they're talking to their clients. One of the things that I always do is I will look at the scripts. I will make maybe some suggestions with the script. And I might talk to the clients to try and really understand the sort of tone that they're trying to get across, how they want it to come across to their audience. But again, it's a way of looking after the clients. So, for example, one of the big, big things I I'm really strong on is making sure I say thank you. So I actually have thank you cards that I send to people, handwritten with a handwritten note on the back saying, hi, Bob, it was really good working with you uh, the other day on the HMRC project. I hope that it really works out for you and your client. Many thanks, Alistair. I don't ask for new work. Mm -hmm. I just want to recognize that I value the fact that they've chosen to use me on that occasion. And I have different cards for different types of occasion. And it is a bit of an investment, but I think it's just a simple way 
to show that you appreciate. And because you've taken the time to handwrite something and handwrite the envelope and put it in a post box, again, we all recognize that takes a bit more effort and therefore it becomes a bit more personal. It's a little bit like when your kids make you a Christmas present as opposed to having gone down to the shops. Mm. Those personalized hand crafted gifts are always so much more valuable. And and by doing that, you, I would guess you're probably creating much stronger relationships than, than if you hadn't have done something like that. Absolutely. I think it's just really, really important to give that extra bit to the client because sometimes people get the job and think, phew, thank you, done that, move on. And my job, my role is often very much, you know, you do one job and move on and you might not hear from the client for another two, three years. Mm. A lot of the jobs that I do aren't week in, week out. So therefore, it's very easy just to think, right, done that one, let's move on. Where mm. just a simple card saying thank you afterwards just leaves them with the lasting feeling of yeah that was a nice gesture that was a good thing to do mm. and so it's something that I, i'm really key on and for bigger clients i send gifts for example i had a recommendation from a colleague of mine at the professional speaking association psa about a year ago and i knew that mark was a particular fan of gin so after the event, after the recommendation, I sent him a thank you card, but I also sent him from this organization called notinthehighstreet.com, I sent him a gin hamper mm. because I just knew that's what he would like. Mm-hmm. And I immediately got a call after saying, wow, I can't believe what's just arrived on my doorstep. Thank you so much. Now, it didn't cost me much money, mm. certainly not in comparison to the recommendation he gave me. Mm. But it was a great way of showing my appreciation to him mm. for for recommending me. And I know full well that I will be very much in the in the top few people of recommendations when it comes to the next one. Yeah. And um, so... The skills that you're sort of helping people with now, you know, in your make business personal and and the other stuff we've talked about that you learned on Cunard and so on. How did you, how do you think you developed this whole mindset of trying to over deliver and trying to give people a, a great experience? It probably started when I was working on ships because it was drummed into us that we really had to work hard at making sure that our guests' experience was special, was different, and it was specific to their holiday. Mm. So that that was probably the beginnings of it. And then when I became came back to being self-employed and starting my own business, I think it was possibly almost part of my DNA by that stage that mm. I should aim for that. Now, we all know that we don't always achieve what we aim to achieve Mm. but i think if it's in the back of our minds that we are looking after our customers we are responding to their emails i have a um, one of my things i use is this thing called head them off at the pass you know those old um movies with Mm. the westerns where the the cowboys are saying hey boss we'll head them off at the pass (laughs) yeah and i always feel that with my clients that i like to be ahead of my clients to communicate with them to make sure they're aware of what's going on. I always think if a pass, if a customer has to chase me up for something, I've not succeeded in my goal of being ahead of the game all the time. So it's little touches like that that I think if you can make your customer's journey easier, 
and less complicated and less fraught, then you're more likely to be asked to work with them again. Mm. And so for the people listening, what suggestions and tips would you give them on on why maybe they should be thinking about trying to to over-deliver in some capacity? I think the main reason to do it is it works. There's no question some of the business relationships that I have are as a result of the way that I've looked after my customers. Interesting that the voiceover I'm doing this afternoon has come from a client that I've not worked with for probably about two and a half years. And I send a New Year's card to my various clients that I have. And they're personalized. They're written on the back. Hello. Great to have worked with you. Hope you've had a great year. All the best for 2019. Um, And I send them off. I handwrite them. My partner works for a pharmaceutical company and she's quite senior. And I asked her, if you get a card like a Christmas card or a birthday card and it's printed, what will happen? But if it's handwritten with a stamp on it, the chances are that my assistant will think, oh, that's personal. I'll put that on her desk. And it Mm. winds up literally on her desk first thing in the morning. So that's why I now handwrite all of my envelopes to everything I do. Now, I know that sounds like a huge task, but actually, if you just look after the customers, I mean, I don't know how many customers each individual person will have, Mm. but if just doing that little touch will make a world of difference because it's unusual. It's not what we all get. So Mm. some of the things that I suggest to people are absolutely say thank you as often as you can. I also give things away, whether it be articles on LinkedIn, whether it be, um, you know, lots of support notes after I've done a, um, a meeting or a training. I try and give things away so that people think, I wasn't expecting to get all of this as well. So it's part of my over-delivering. And Mm. then in terms of relationships, I talk quite a lot about LinkedIn and how I I love LinkedIn because LinkedIn, no one knows how active you are. It's not like Facebook where people can see whether you're posting. If you get a few moments on a train, I go onto LinkedIn and I look at all of the various things that are happening to my connections. And then I'll write a few personal notes to different people just saying, hey, great to hear about that job promotion or great to hear um, that you've got that that um, new contract or maybe, hey, have a great birthday. But I'll always personalize it and I'll never use that little tick box of congrats on your work anniversary or something like that, yeah. which we all hate. Well, hopefully mm. we all hate. <laughs> so I try and give value in whatever social media interaction I have as well. Fantastic. Okay, well, we've, um, I mean, time has flown by. We've got, it's nearly 35 minutes. So before we finish, Alistair, I mean, you, you mentioned about the, uh, the sales presentation that you do, the skills, uh, presentation skills training, rather. Um, what type of people is it you're delivering that to? The skills training really will vary an, awfully, an awful lot, dependent upon at what stage of their skill they are. So in other words, somebody who's just starting out. So quite often I'll work at conferences or training sessions where these are people who've just been promoted to, say, middle management, and they're now starting to have to give presentations. 
So we talk a lot about confidence. We talk a lot about helping people feel more comfortable getting up there and doing it. We all know that glossophobia, the fear of speaking in front of other people, is the biggest fear in the UK. Mm. So just helping people get over those fears that they might have just about getting up and doing it. And actually, the key to that is preparation. The more Mm. prepared they are, the better they will feel on the day. But then I'll work all the way through to helping people who have a major keynote at a big conference. I'll work with them on a specific presentation that they have to help them deliver it in terms of their style, in terms of their body language, in terms of their voice, but also maybe help them a little bit with their slides and interaction with their slides and the interaction with their audience to make sure that that presentation has more impact. It has more of a relationship to the audience and most importantly will become more memorable right and if people want to find out more about you alistair where where can i go to they can go on my training website and my keynote speaking website is presentyourself.co.uk my training company is called present yourself Um, i'm also on twitter i'm on instagram if you just look up present yourself present yourself training uh, you'll find me there and for my emceeing and tv work i'm on alistairgreener.com so i've got quite a few things but actually i love doing so many different things because all of them intertwine with each other and i learn from one to be able to deliver in the other so i'm very fortunate Fantastic. Well, Alistair, all of the everything you've just mentioned, the the websites and so on, all of those will be included in the show notes. All of those links, and it's been a real pleasure speaking to you. And thank you for the uh, for the you know, valuable information you've given to the listeners. Thank you, Tony. It's been a great pleasure to talk to you, and uh, all the best with all of your endeavours. And I look forward to listening to your podcast in the future. Thank you very much, Alistair. Next week's episode, I speak with Michelle Mills Porter, who was caught up in a tsunami in 2004 in Southeast Asia, and that had a dramatic effect on her life, which we'll find out about next week. So do join us. Um, please uh, do leave a review. Join the Facebook group, the Exceeding Expectations Facebook group, and why not subscribe? Have a great week. See you next week.